Welcome to Podcast 1999, a podcast about Space 1999. I'm your host, Mark Malik, and this is also your host. Matt. It's Matt. I am Matt. It's Matt. We're talking about the missing link today. Um, what do you think is the missing link? Uh, an ape man, probably. Ape. What about that, that <laughs> rendering of like what it would take for a human to survive a car crash? You've seen that picture? No. You can look it up now. Um, uh, making a like human that can survive a car crash, and the listeners can all whip out their phones and uh, you know, play along if they want. Um, you got that image? <laughs> I think that's a missing link. Yeah. <laughs> Why does he have twelve nipples? Why? So Why they so he can roll around on the nipples? car. <laughs> there, I guess for an, for an audio podcast that probably works. Why does he have twelve nipples? Uh, pretty much works it out, looks, I guess. He looks like if you made the Juggernaut into a monkey man, the Juggernaut <laughs> from X Men. He's shaped like the Juggernaut. Yeah, yeah. So the Juggernaut can survive car crashes, but that's because as of long his, as his he, um, only if he's able to breastfeed twelve mystical babies at suits. Once. <laughs> I'm the juggernaut, bitches. Now supple on me. <laughs> Maybe that's oh, what he man. does. Okay, that's my yep. missing link. And all you have for me is Ape Man. Okay. Well, do you feel like this episode may have been mistitled? Um, well, I mean, I don't know. I should they what call him like, you know, man from the distant past? I guess you know, yeah, um, I guess he is a primordial person. scum. He isn't is a person from the distant past, and these people are from the future, even though they're not that smart for people from the future. <laughs> and they, well, they're they're all about love now, and they just don't understand violence, you know. Yeah, except for mental, except for psychological violence, they understand that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, those put a bunch of screaming monsters in the room with you, or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, they just think about the screaming monsters. I will go get into it. I, I, I might have deeper thoughts on that, but um, I don't know. You, you want to blast us with your trivia shot? Yeah, here's the missing link in this episode between the beginning and the summary. It's called The Trivia. Uh, this episode was directed by Ray Austin. He previously directed Ring Around the Moon, and we'll be back to direct five more episodes in season one and two episodes in season two. Uh, the script was written by Edward DiLorenzo, along with the Andersons. These three also wrote Ring Around the Moon, so it's basically like a Ring Around the Moon reunion here. Uh, these are DiLorenzo's only Space 1999 credits. Notably, the brawl over Koenig's life support in the last few minutes of the episode didn't go as planned. Anton Phillips insisted on performing his own stunts, and it resulted in Nick Tate accidentally knocking him unconscious. That that take is in the episode, and you can see a shocked look on Tate's face. Phillips claims he remained on his feet and did not get knocked out. So hmm. he didn't want to be a sissy man. He said, "He said, who knows?" Uh, Peter Cushing guest stars as Ron, not R O N. It's R A A N. 
the the uh, subtitles on YouTube <laughs> kept saying that he was R O N. Um, <laughs> the, you may, the, you Ron. May, <laughs> hey, I'm Ron. <laughs> well, you may remember from the trivia a few weeks ago that Christopher Lee only agreed to star in the episode Earthbound if they would cast his good friend Cushing in another episode, and here it is. Interestingly, the wig that Cushing wears in this episode is the exact same wig that Christopher Lee wore in his episode, and that wig will later be worn by Margaret Layton, Leo McKern, and Joan Collins in season one. Uh, anyway, back to Cushing. He was born in 1913 in Kenley, Surrey, England. He was uh, drawn to acting at an early age and started dabbling in amateur theater before attending school for acting and then transitioning to repertory theater. He had a short stint in Hollywood in 1939, in the early 40s, followed by a short, short stint on Broadway in New York, but then landed back in England, where he would soon become a mainstay in Hammer Horror Films, which is where most people know him from, aside from his appearance as Grand Moff Tarkin in Star Wars. You can see him in such films as The Blood Beast Terror, and now The Screaming Starts, and Son of Hitler. <clears throat> his final film appearance was in Biggles Adventures in Time in 1986. He would pass away eight years later from prostate cancer. Uh, our second guest star is Joanna Dunham as Vanna, not Lana, like the subtitle said. I thought um, it was Vanna, was... like Vanna White. Maybe. I don't know. She could spin them letters with her mind. Anyway, she was born in 1936 and had a number of acting credits, mostly UK television. You can see her in one episode of Danger Man, as well as NBC Special Treat, The Great Armored Car Swindle, and Dangerous Afternoon. She retired in the late 90s and passed away in 2014. And that's, that's the trivias. Do you think the wig started to smell funny? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I mean, they have studio lights, you know? It's not like they weren't sweating in those. I hope Joan Collins is like, this smells like Christopher Lee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. I don't know. It does seem a shame that to not have them in the same episode somehow. But they well, I guess each other. I guess it was just like you don't. The, this show was really sparing with the guest stars. You can note you notice that the trivia never has more than like two guest stars in it, <laughs> maybe three. Yeah, um, Christopher Lee could have played the daughter. They space out the heavies. Yeah, I mean, if they were fantastic. With if Penig <laughs> was falling in love with Christopher Lee, that would have been that would have been a better episode, possibly. <laughs> it was really, um, you know, we'll get into it later. It was very interesting contrast between those two roles. I guess I'll do that summary of what's happening in this. All right. Oh, weird. Okay, between my notes and the summary, it just says Alan is not taking it easy, which I think is just a hit enter too many <laughs> times. But I thought that was the beginning of the summary, and I got confused. Okay. Right. After surveying a planetary system seemingly devoid of life, Commander Koenig, Alan Carter, and Dr. Bergman, and Sandra, whose name I forgot to write, return to Moonbase Alpha. A strange gravitational pull forces them to crash land on the moon's surface. Koenig is gravely injured, and the moon base stages a rescue mission to reclaim their crew. But as it turns out, Koenig is not injured at all. The bleeding body is but an image, while the real Koenig has been transported to the planet Zeno by the anthropologist Ron. Not Ron. He is among a race of evolved humans and has been recreating moon base locales to make Koenig feel at home 
as he is never leaving. On the real moon base, Dr. Russell feverishly tries to revive the fake mind image Koenig, but ultimately decides that it may be his time to die. Or is there no time to die? The crew does not take well to losing their commander. Meanwhile, Ron begins a series of strange psychological experiments on Koenig, and the commander tries to throw a wrench at things by beginning a relationship with Ron's daughter, Vanna. This goes so well that Koenig almost ends up marrying Vanna, but ultimately decides he cannot abandon his people on the moon base. The Zenites return Koenig back, and Dr. Russell is pleased by the miracle of Koenig's return. I've had a I've had a note on the show that we pronounce all the names differently all the time. And now I have mm-hmm. no clue what's the correct way to say anyone's name, by the way. Just just throwing that out there. Um Sandra. Like, Sandra. Is there is it Sandra? Sandra. Did I, I said Sandra, Sandra right? Sandra. Yeah, yeah you like, said Sandra. I did because I avoid hard. She's vowels. from Europe or something. And uh, <laughs> before we rolled tape, you were pointing out how it's like even like confusing in the show because um you see when you see Koenig's name on a on a monitor, it's spelled wrong. Yonig. At which, at which point, I was, it's in show. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> crap. I must have been spelling it wrong the whole time. I went back and changed his name in all of my notes. But, <laughs> but then that then they correct it later. So then I had to correct everything again. Or did I? It's, I mean, they're my notes. So I guess I didn't really need to. Let's see if I did that or not or left it. I don't remember. No, I left it misspelled in my notes in the end because I didn't want to change it yet again. I mean, you could probably eyeball that and not say it wrong. Who knows? You probably yeah. are better at this than the whoever labeled that monitor. Medical staff always does seem to be like engraving these monitors with their patients' names anyway, which is kind of a weird move. <laughs> well, maybe you just get one monitor for you and it comes with you. <laughs> and it's just there. Like if it was uh, a piece of tape with his name on it, that would make more yeah. sense and I'd understand the uh, typo a little more. Well... Um, it could still so, have cool lettering. It could have like that computery lettering on the tape, and then you put the tape on because that makes more sense than having it like they, etched into the metal. I mean, one where label makers invented, they're invented before this, right? Yeah, sure. They had, you know, post-it notes on, on. You could put post-it notes on the monitors. Yeah. Now I'm just looking it up because I'm insane. Oh, when label makers were invented, you mean? Oh, you mean like the the mechanical ones that print everything on type? It's not even Wikipedia isn't even helping me. Like what the You have found a rabbit hole that cannot be jumped in. 1960 1958. Okay. 1967, 1958. They should, they should be all up into those label makers anyway. Show production or or Moonbase Alpha. Yep. But mainly show production. Yeah. Uh, I have to close that tab with the car crash man on it. I'm gonna start laughing again. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, remember how I said a few episodes ago that I remembered this series as um, Martin Lando always screaming at people? Oh, yeah, he I is think that it's screaming coming, in this one. It's coming in, right? <laughs> like, it's coming in. Because Ring Around the Moon had a little of that. And this has, like, a solid, like, three or four minutes of intense screaming. Yeah, my note here is a scream enough that you get sci-fi monsters. It's all screaming now. It was like, what, like three minutes on screen? It was just screaming. That's interesting because so much of this so far has been kind of whispering. 
it's very keeping it low and it's like as soon as they take it up it's just like <laughs> he's been saving his voice he's been saving his voice for the screaming is it possible that the tension of making the show is just getting to him <laughs> he's breaking well yeah i mean i, I hate to say it but him and barbara bain were a bit of um apparently they were not necessarily the easiest to work with on the set <laughs> yeah I mean, I don't know. I guess that's, you know, I, you hear the same thing about original Star Trek where Shatner's getting jealous of Nimoy's uh, popularity and, and stuff. You know, why is well, yeah, bags of fan mail bigger than mine? And I'm just, I'm watching through Voyager and I was reading apparently uh, um, uh, Jerry Ryan had issues with um, God, Kate Mul Mulgrew had issues Kate, with yeah. her or something. Yeah, yeah, because she was like, they're just trying to inject some TNA into the show, which I think she has since uh, uh, publicly apologized about being horrible yeah, on that show. They're apparently friends now, but I'm like, actually, she's. Uh, am I wrong that like uh, uh, Mulgrew's hotter? Am I crazy? Uh, you're 46, I guess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. You're 46. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, um, you, you, I'm, I didn't send you my notes ahead of time, but I, best, I bet you can guess my first note. Um, is it about Keonig? No, it says, what is oh, it? My God, they've oh my God, they've lost an eagle. Yeah, they lost an eagle. Yeah. Yep. Got pulled <laughs> down somehow by Ron. Captain Although, Ron. Captain Ron, yeah. <laughs> that would have been fun in this. They could have had like a teenage Kurt Russell playing an early version of Captain <laughs> Ron. Of course. <laughs> you know, this is when he's still doing the Disney movies, right? You've heard the pro the likely apocryphal story that um that Walt Disney's final words were Kurt Russell. No, I didn't hear that. Kurt Russell. And then he Kurt death rattled. <laughs> he wasn't he gonna say Jodie Foster. There's like probably his two options for all of his uh, live action stuff. Yeah, yeah. So Don Knotts, and that's why Kurt Russell is in every Disney movie um, for ten years. And, yeah, mm. <laughs> that's not that's not true. But he was, <laughs> he in, was in he a was lot. In like five, ten. I don't know. Yeah, he was in quite a few. So, uh, but they made I, I, so I love many. The story. Yeah, yeah, they made so many. I'd, I'd like to see a list of how many Disney live, live action movies, weird live just... action ones. Yeah, um, yeah. You do get to see the modular nature of the eagle, though. Because mm -hmm. uh, one thing is, yeah, obviously these things can be deconstructed and reconstructed. I mean, that's part of the design. Kind of 70s space design was big on modular, modular furniture, yeah. right? So yes, the Ikea-ness of it all. Yeah, you get the Ikea vibe in this one, which I, I like that. So that was for Groovies. I mean, once again, great looking episode, even though you feel like you don't really get to see the... Uh civilization of uh what's it what was the place zeno yeah <clears throat> zenians is that you don't really that... see zeno you see Zenites. like a rendering of zeno yeah that was a fantastic rendering though i mean that was up there yeah. with the eye floating in a brain stuck in a planet or a moon mm -hmm. or whatever yeah yeah so it, it made me think of like you know epcot horizons I remember like Logan's run where you see like a couple of fantastic just matte paintings of panorama bubble dome things. And yeah, but you also get, get that, that insane model to look around at. 
Yeah, I mean Logan's. Yeah, Logan's run is obviously more expensive than this by far. But yeah, still. Logan, Logan's run lets you live in the city a little bit. I mean, they get out of the city too yeah. early in the movie, but while you're in the city, yeah. you're there for sure. You know, or you're at the when, um, Texas Convention Center, or whatever it was. But and arguably, even when they're in like that waterfall or whatever, it looks cool for what it, for what I mean, it is. I guess that is something to think about. Like this show constructs everything. There is zero location shooting, I believe. We've had no location shooting in Space 1999, right? Um, maybe the the parrot planet. No, nah, that was a that was a no? set. Of, that, that was, was a set, a, a set oh. AF. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I feel like we're gonna get that eventually, but I'm not so sure. Mm. But anyway, yeah, yeah, Logan's Run had the 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 giant money saving of let's use the 70s futurist convention center as half of our sets yeah why not i mean we have <laughs> avengers movies use the expensive porsche facility in atlanta i mean i guess that's part of the charm here though that you know like the moon base especially the command center like completely constructed by the by the yeah. production so see these are puppet people you can That's imagine a, they probably don't want to. They don't want. They want to build everything. They've they're never been outside. It. Yeah, they've never been outside. They've been inside building things out of toilet paper rolls, and now maybe, they're going to build them out of plastic tubes. Maybe that's the thing. Because a few years earlier, you know, Bane and Landau had done Mission Impossible, which has tons of location shooting. So maybe they were getting claustrophobic. I don't really think, wonder if they had any say. I wonder if they had any say in what happens in the show whatsoever. <laughs> Maybe. Let's take a field I, trip, you know? I think they took a job where they were the stars. Yeah, that's because that's they true. didn't really because they weren't treated super well in Mission Impossible. <laughs> but well, they're doing contracts for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, that, I think that's, I don't know if the day-to-day sucked. I, it must have been to the end, but I or, well, I don't know. So um, I imagine it was just like, pay me or I'm leaving. Yeah, I do have several notes in this one just saying um, Epcot Center. I guess that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking about the command center so much in this because when he goes into the weird, trippy mind space um, command center, you, it's just him. It's empty, right? So mm-hmm. you really can see the weird, cold, austere vibe of it more than usual yeah it, it is a um they do a little more spooky kind of isolation like foggy things with the uh they're 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 pushing the uh, you're totally alone thing a lot more in this for obvious reasons yeah i liked it i i like to think since he is in the mind constructed zone of the um zenites that the weird fairy music is like diegetic like he is hearing that it's playing through the moon base alpha speakers of course yes it's it's all it's all real they're like anything right they're like this is what happens right this is this is the human the music that ancient humans dig be funny if they were just playing like (laughs) (laughs) yeah that'd be fun too um although this sci-fi trope I guess is the same as Captain Kirk and uh, Blink of an Eye and the Mark of Gideon, where he's you know on the Enterprise by himself. One's because he's stuck in the wrong phase of time, and the other one because um, he's on that 
recreation of the Enterprise, which is pretty much exactly like mm-hmm. this. And that episode, well, they, is... they, the aliens somehow built a complete Enterprise on their crowded planet that has no room for people, which makes that <laughs> that if you want to talk stupid, love the episode. But that is a <laughs> stupid concept. <laughs> well, this this is a very uh, this strikes me as a very Captain Kirk episode. Like Koenig is given a lot of very Captain Kirk stuff to do. You know, yeah, he's yeah, he's, well, I mean, he's stuck note. somewhere and he's gonna get out any way he can. Also, he's gonna seduce the one one woman who he meets, and that obviously causes a problem for Ron, which is hilarious to me because it's sort of like, oh, why wouldn't you like to leave instead? <laughs> he makes a speech, although he doesn't and, make them explode or anything. But yeah, yeah. For, but apparently, in the original script, it was much more obvious that Koenig started. He started with the intention of sort of pretending that that he was in love with her, but this version of it pretty much plays it straight. Like he seems like he's really falling in love, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But you know, whatever. Well, he was getting Stockholm syndrome, like quickly. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe shiny people are really attractive. Yeah, maybe you know if you see her in person, she's she's you know has has a certain allure and who knows i mean they have mental powers maybe she's using some mind control that we don't know about if she's starting to take him as well i mean they can manipulate like doing stuff to him the whole time that we're not seeing yeah i mean because you can imagine yourself you know screaming and covered in cobwebs right on the in the void i mean yeah i can imagine that that's like my real life all the time yeah (laughs) that's what you do when we're off mic for sure (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah it's like spider webs spider webs on my mailbox and i start screaming ron <laughs> and that's like is that your neighbor do you have is ron your neighbor uh, my uncle's named ron maybe i just scream my uncle's name when i reach my mailbox <laughs> how close does he live <laughs> oh like 70 miles from here okay the 70 miles how many kilometers that is i don't yeah like, like 107 um uh, okay maybe i, I believe know. you Sure. I believe you. Sure. That's good enough for me. Do I believe me? I actually, I, I do believe me. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're not Zenians. We don't know what we're, we can't do these fast calculations. Zenites. <clears throat> Zenites. That's, anyway. I guess that's a little bit of a difference. Uh, blink of an eye, they have the weird time power, but they're, I guess, basically people. Mark and Gideon, they're crowded people talking about those Star Trek episodes. Mm-hmm. This one, is a good example of where space 1999 kind of uh, likes to shove in a little more of the weird metaphysical angle, I think, than Trek typically does. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a vague thing. Um, also, the... I mean, you you it's sort of a thing where they're desperate for him to stay, but then he's talking with that other Zenite. I don't even know who that was, or was he talking to himself? He was talking uh, to like I thought he was talking to another Zenite. Mother Zenite. Um, sorry to leave you out of the trivia, guy. Whoever you are, forgot you were in this episode. Um, <laughs> uh, he's like, I'm worried that he'll kill me. I'm like, really? Like, maybe you let him go if you're worried he's gonna kill you. <laughs> I think like, he was like, why don't you erase his brain? Yeah, maybe you should have. Yeah, well, oh, the, the, I, then he wouldn't have natural responses, but the natural responses might kill you. So I mean, you take the risk or you don't. Yeah. He seems yeah. more worried about his daughter than about them like killing him. 
Well, he's just an anthropologist, right? So I mean, I he's not like he's the ruler not... of the planet or anything. I think he's a toxic parent. Yeah, yeah. Maybe these are. Well, yeah, this is kind of like planet New Age, you know, times one hundred. Yeah, it's culty. These would be the what the the Acturians or something in New Age land. I mean, you can imagine like yeah. one of those seventies like uh, pen and ink, weirdly colored sketches of of these people on this planet. You know, the the power of uh, mind, the miracle, the secret. That's the secret. You know, if you think of it, you manifest it. That, that's all they do on this planet. I feel like that stuff was sort of around, but it wasn't widely considered bad <laughs> as it is now. Oh, I don't think it's considered bad. There, I, I would even say, you know, there's obviously a, something to thinking a certain way and hoping that reality, or, you know, not even hoping, assuming reality is going to turn out that way. This is just straight up like if you think it, you have it. Yep. So that allows them to be highly evolved and stupid because you said he doesn't seem very smart he doesn't need to be very smart does he he read the secret twice yeah and now he now he has a home made of light yep (laughs) but it's like it's one of those things you can't really write this you can't write you can't write a story about people who can have anything they want it's impossible because you it would cost Twenty billion dollars, if it was realistic. Right. Well, I yeah. I mean, we don't really know how much effort it takes for him to do this stuff. If he does have a technology that's allowing him to do it, I mean, if you had to go through a, a technological hurdle first, um, you, you'd still be like, yeah, I'm doing it with my mind. But I have a Neuralink and it's hooked up to giant computers or something. Yeah, he probably wouldn't have mentioned that out loud. Like, right. oh no, we, we've evolved a whole lot. I'm great. Because he's very much on like, hey, we're still humans, you know? Yep. Which actually does bring up, well, actually, this comes after Black Sun in any episode order, I believe. But uh, yeah, I was like, should we have humans in like another galaxy? Because the way we're watching it, they're now in another galaxy, it seems. So. Well, yeah, that again, a lot of Star Trek does like somewhere Voyager is in a totally different quadrant of the galaxy and then they a couple of times they just find earth people like cool they found uh, dinosaurs they have an explanation though whereas this does not because it's very episodic television we explain anything in a universe where warp drives are attainable i guess i mean there's books to explain all the details of this stuff anyway so yeah why did i yeah it is weird why did i write the note scientists are just atomic pornographers (laughs) (laughs) Is it because Vana is just hot for the one non-shiny human she's ever met? Yeah, maybe maybe I was thinking she was like more of a scientist where I guess it turns out she's really more of just the daughter that's that's hanging around. I mean, why is she even involved in all this? That's I don't know what it is about um, space fiction where it's like so or, or if it's just 60s television, 70s television. I mean, I guess we don't understand the geography of a home made of light. So he could just be stumbling yeah. into the living room, basically, and there she is. But it's just such a common thing where two people are together and then they fall in love and it always happens. What's well, the whole, um, I mean, it goes all the way back to the Tempest, right? With Prospero's mm-hmm. daughter or whatever. 
um that i mean i that's where the sci-fi trope basically comes from i'd say a forbidden planet you know that that mm -hmm. seals are pretty wholeheartedly this kind of has it like there's he talks to that one other guy so obviously they're not truly alone they are civilization but the feeling of the episode is it's just this weird anthropologist with insane powers and his daughter which is very tempesty do you think that this would have been a more interesting episode if instead of sandra it was helena russell showing up to be like hey <laughs> do you think that would have been uh more interesting or better well honestly i barely remember that what i remember is um when fake Bergman is flipping out. I mean, which is smartly, <laughs> yes. was, smartly was a good cue for um, Koenig to realize that <laughs> this isn't right. That, my notes all say like, Ron is an idiot and is terrible at constructing anything that's a realistic narrative. It just doesn't make it. He just goes like, ah, oh, I gotta get out of here. It's like, completely unhinged it's well, hilarious you, yeah you were saying missing link why is this the missing link because this is a period of humanity that they've lost touch with and lost knowledge with yeah. and they don't know how these people act uh for us a good example might be say say machu picchu people or, or those caves in siberia where they found like distinctive jewelry and stuff like we don't know anything about those people so we might just assume that they smash rocks and scream and and yeah make so the, noises exactly. but they probably don't so the yeah, so the moon base people would be like that to the uh, Zenites. So okay. clearly I they could... don't know how Koenig is going to react. That's why they're doing psychological experiments. And um, uh, it might make sense to them and how they live, but it doesn't really make sense to us because it's just weird. I I am more convinced that this is a smarter episode than I gave it credit for. I didn't really think this was a stupid episode. It was just kind of simple. Um, no, I think, I think I, that that was last week where you were screaming stupid, stupid. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I don't remember which one. I don't, don't think that's aired yet. That was another time in our place, which has aired. So sorry. Yes, the way oh, okay. we were doing this Whoops. is very confusing for us. But uh... <laughs> right. OK, it hasn't aired yet for us. Uh, anyway, another time, another place was last week. Another episode, another week. Yes. Um, I do really, really enjoy watching actors get to just start screaming and running around like maniacs. And this had a little bit of that. So I appreciated that from both uh, Bergman and Koenig. Well, the whole, the whole moon-based command structure kind of eats it if the commander's gone and they just fall into anarchy yeah. within like five well, that, minutes. <laughs> but I mean, that doesn't, ha that doesn't happen on Star Trek generally. Like, you never... <laughs> Unless some, they have like some kind of space virus that makes them crazy, which does happen a lot. To be but fair, they like just, you don't have like like Picard is in a coma and people are just like no, but like just start brawling on the deck. You know, <laughs> this is again to me very entertaining, kind of ridiculous, but you know, it's just a full on brawl. Not only just an insane like many people fighting, but it's like the last two minutes of the episode where we the the viewer know that Koenig is coming out of it. So it's like really unnecessary. And yeah, if the, if the commander didn't wake up, they're going to be Lord of the flies in like two days, which is crazy. <laughs> right. I mean, even like alien movies don't do that. It's just, just 
um, I guess that gets to the fact that this is not, even though he's a commander, he's really a manager. And this is more of yeah. a workplace, even it doesn't have that kind of military or paramilitary structure. The Prometheus huh. crew gets pretty stupid pretty quick. It's, well, you're talking I, about could, aliens, I so. could go into that for like 10 minutes. There's a lot of dumb ideas in that script. But um, some of them are, aren't. I mean, there, there are dumb ideas that are actually realistic when you think about it a little more because we just have we, we just have a bunch of scientists, you know, like on a on a hostile planet so again this guy's an anthropologist that's maybe one of the reasons that he comes across as not so smart it's not like he's not a jailer he's not a military guy he's a he's you know like the moon's just passing by and he's just like hey i guess i'll take the opportunity while they're spinning past and just takes this guy and maybe doesn't really have a plan here he's winging it he might yeah. be evolved but he's still winging it yeah, and I guess he's just been sitting in a lighthouse with his daughter for two million years, not doing anything. A house made of light. That's different than a lighthouse. Mm. Tomato, <laughs> tomato. You just like lighthouse, the, it, house. the Defoe movie? He was trying to get back to that. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that basically the, the stuff you see with Bergman and uh, Koenig screaming is a lot like the lighthouse. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, what what is your favorite screaming movie? Oh, what, what is what is man. the top flight screaming? I mean, this is this is good screaming here, but I mean, it's not even as good as the prison. It, it's great, but the, I feel like it's not to the scream level of the prisoner necessarily. Um, I mean, there's some good screaming in RoboCop a couple of times. That's I don't know about the movie as a whole. Uh, Blue Velvet. Okay, that's a, that's a pretty good choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a few moments in a few different David Lynch movies, but that one is obviously a standout. Yeah, well, it's like in Fire Walk With Me, you get David Bowie just walking into the office and screaming. And that's one, one good yeah. scream scene, but it's not sustained. So, And you could argue that that movie itself screams at you when it has that scene in that club where the music is turned up so loud that you can't hear anything for about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How many people consider the movie better in the TV show? Well, this is the thing. Apparently, when that movie came out, people hated it. They did. That movie was the first thing I saw of Twin Peaks. So I was like, yeah, this is great. I'm going to watch the TV series. And then I like. I don't know. There are things that are better about the TV series than the movie, but. I still really like the movie. It's more like it's it's uh, a little more quirky fun, right? Because remember, Northern Exposure is kind of like Twin Peaks with all the Lynch taken out. Yeah, it's just turned up a little bit. Whereas Twin Peaks is like is like Twin Peaks without any of the fun quirky stuff. It has to, but with more insanity. Yeah, I mean, Twin Peaks the series feels like it has to, um, like it has to be chill enough to keep you invested, which is was a brilliant choice. Because if it had been just like, ah, like people just, you know, if it the whole thing had been like the the reveal of the killer the whole time, then people wouldn't have been able to handle it. The early 90s seems to be like a heyday for like movies that actively hate you. Like they're still good movies, but the movie hates you. I would say that for Twire, Twin Peaks Fireworks. Me. Uh, Alien 3 for sure. Yeah. Alien, Alien 3 hates you, the person watching it. <laughs> I mean, kind of Terminator 3. That's later, I guess that's but late nineties. Okay, I actually like that but, one quite well. So I like Alien Three too, but, but Alien Three is just such a. It's like it. You could call it a slog, but it's not because it's actively hating you. But the thing about 
Terminator 3, it's, it kind of does the same thing as Alien 3, where any like vestige of hope that was given to you by Terminator 2 is basically yanked away. And then then it's like, not only do you get a crappier John Connor, but it's, you get a... Um, it's like, no, Judgment Day will always happen. The, the idea that Judgment Day is going to always happen and it's just going to get pushed back a few years is not only devastating, but also stupid. It's really stupid. Does this episode hate you? No, I guess it doesn't. Hmm, may, nah, I don't, I don't think so. No, no, it doesn't. I just, I, I was just trying to dovetail it back into the, the, the conversation. I feel like maybe it work. hates, it hates our cast, the cast of Space 1999. Yeah, reveals like feels for like, who they really are. Yeah, it feels like basically what they're dealing with is their commander is, is uh, unconscious for three or four days. And it's like the end of the world. Yeah. They're Let's just eat like, ourselves they're alive. Not, you know, they're not like flying into a black hole again. They're not dealing with, they're dealing with relatively little. Do and they not, do they not have a set number two or number one if we're going by next generation rules? I guess it's Paul. Is that what's yeah, going but, on? But then Alan doesn't seem to really agree with that. Right. Mm. <laughs> so it doesn't. Yeah. It, it, it seems like one lack of command structure on the moon base might be an issue. Like, I mean, if Man. you know, if it's a functioning moon base and the Earth is nearby, maybe you don't need it. But once you're flying through space with no destination, you might want to have like a, a line of succession or something. I don't know. I blame the script. I bet there's going to be an episode that comes up where he's out of he's out of commission and it won't be a big deal at all because it's not part of the plot. <laughs> I, well, I bet it's just. I wouldn't call that bad writing because it is like, hey, if this isn't like a military operation, if it is like your office, if the manager, you know, is unconscious in his office for four days, uh, what's happening in the office? You know, probably people are like being lazy and doing stupid stuff. So maybe they're not fighting, but they're also not flying through space with no destination. So that I mean, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to explore, but it's also kind of filler because they only had two Zenites. And they didn't really give them a whole lot to do. So it was just sort of an obvious time filler or B plot. Which yeah. Is fine. Well, this gets back to why I, I enjoy this show is even when that happens, there's lots of weird trippy lights most of the time. Yeah. This is great. This is great on the tripometer. And, uh, and like I said, yeah, yay violence. Cool. They're all punching each other and yelling. That doesn't, <laughs> that's, that's very entertaining. I mean, if they complain, the early ones, like you said, is they're too stale or whatever. I mean, they're definitely like getting a froth behind them in this episode. Well, I don't. I mean, I don't hate the the whisper, what mumblecore of the mm. earlier episodes. I I I like it. It's something. I mean, it's it's kind of an engaging thing. But yelling is also good. I wonder. I mean, if we are charting this like with a little bit of serialization, maybe like after leaving the Earth's orbit, they're kind of in shock for a while. You know, something like Black Sun happens in our order already, and and that would definitely put you in like another phase of shock because you just like touched infinity and thought you were gonna die. So you know, maybe they're just like starting to warm up a little bit and regain some humanity after having like insane trauma, emotional trauma over the first few episodes. Yeah, well, it's like interesting that I think about it a little bit more. It's like. This is closer in tone, obviously, to original Trek because there's like a sort of a swagger to that. <clears throat> but then 
you look at all the 90s Star Trek is all the dialogue is like full throated. I am projecting everything I say and I'm going to stay in generally in this register. And I'll never and talk then, up over you. I'll never talk over you. And then generally you never. Get, I'll never talk over you. <laughs> all right. Well, you're you're the commander. So I um, um, what was I saying? Strange New Worlds kind of goes back around to being mumblecore and whispery and then sometimes screaming. But the Orville, totally nineties. Everyone, everyone talks like this in it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. that's interesting or not. Well, I guess that's naturalistic versus stylized, right? Yeah. So in the seventies, like, like in the movies, if you went naturalistic, you, you're watching Altman films where they are all talking all over each other. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like also, I just look at like Next Generation, like uh, it was kind of a Shakespeare thing. Everybody's kind of talking like they're projecting to an audience well when your leads a shakespearean actor <laughs> yeah it makes sense but uh but yeah yeah with Altman, the pro- it didn't become a major problem till popeye because they're all still talking over each other right now i'm talking like this and, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like what's happening that movie used to come on tv when i was a kid and i like couldn't stand to watch it i like couldn't watch it it's it's I, I actually do like it. It's a, and I definitely want to visit Popeye Village someday. That's that's got to be on. It's not really on the bucket list, but I mean, maybe I should that? put it on the bucket list. Malta, like Malta, right? Malta would be cool to visit. I just don't see that yeah. in my immediate future. Sure. I mean, that was apparently the most cocaine that's ever been on a movie set. Yeah, they like had a full the plane of it follow them there or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the most. The most cocaine on a movie set until John Claude Van Damme made Street Fighter. <laughs> exactly. Um, I wonder if Scarface had much cocaine on the set. I don't think so, man. I think they were very <laughs> not doing. I mean, they, maybe Is that they just had more baking, baking soda cocaine. at the end. I believe I just, so. Yeah, I don't know. Just because we're, I'm trying to think in the movie, it has mountains of cocaine, right? So <laughs> that's probably has the most like simulated cocaine in it. But I don't think that had the, as much real cocaine as Popeye did. But Space 1999 can promise you no mountains of cocaine on set. On Perhaps. Screen. Not on set, on screen. As far as I, I know. I don't know about yeah, the not set. Not on screen. Not on screen. I don't know. No hey, maybe idea. We'll get, maybe we'll get to that episode. I haven't seen any trivia hit points to cocaine usage, but, <laughs> you know. Right. 70s, baby. Uh, so let's, let's put this one on percentage of um, existential dread versus sci-fi fun. Uh, you want to go first or second on this one? I want to say 60-40 Dread. Dread's on the top. Yeah, I think Dread's on the top. Okay, I have a very different 80-fun-20 Dread. Wow. Because, like you said, it is very much just like kind of follows the beats of a Star Trek episode. I mean, there's a little bit of weird psychological torture stuff. The um, But even the being covered in cobwebs trapped in the void is is a... It's a weird you know mind game like psychological game it's not it's not just something un like you can kind of understand the zenites there's a face to the uh omnipotent powers in this episode well the reason that i put dread on top is because he's totally powerless really i mean the zenites could have just been like now we're keeping you and that would have been it there's nothing they could do. But like you so, said, he's he's got the Captain Kirk swagger. So and he has yeah. a plan that he enacts. And to me, that like he's kind of like 
you know, like like our Trek heroes are often in like insurmountable odds, but they keep their cool. Whereas in something like Black Sun, they were kind of losing it. On Moonbase Alpha, they're losing it, but it's not an existential dread thing. It's because they think their commander's dying and they're they're just um having normal human stupidity, I guess. Well, it's fights. one of those it's one of those things where I have to separate the dread question from the part of my brain that knows for a fact that Martin Lando will be back for every episode of this damn show and that I can't actually be worried about him. But if I wasn't sure he was going to come back, then I would be like, well, maybe he's not coming back. No, I'm not trying to suggest that you should change your percentages. I'm just uh, well, I'm not. You know, justifying mine. So, well, you know, you shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was just trying to justify my own percentage percentages yeah but i, I would say uh, you know after the pilot which i think i did give a more than 50 percent dread to but i would say this is the most sci-fi fun episode we've had so far it's interesting i feel like we've been opposite on a lot of the dread percentage maybe well, maybe i'm wrong on that someone's well, hopefully keeping tra- tabs but this is what happens when you start the podcast for recording the episodes over spans of months <laughs> yeah well, maybe we'll start tracking this a little more from here. We'll see. <laughs> well, I can always just go back and listen to all of them. Yes. Um, all right. Do you so, want to throw out anything else on this? Um, I don't know. Interesting how Peter Cushing's character is so different from Christopher Lee's character in Earthbound because Christopher Lee is basically just there to help and wants to take people to places and Peter Cushing just wants to trap you. Yeah. Yet they have the same hair. Yet they have the same hair. <laughs> but yeah, I I almost I almost feel bad we didn't talk about Peter Cushing more because he's Peter Cushing. But I guess yeah, yeah. well, we talked about his character, so that's important. <laughs> that I guess that if we talk more about the character than the actor, he did a good job. They didn't give him a whole lot to do. They that's should have the B plot. They should have left let Grand Moff Tarkin wear this costume. That that would have been a big plus, I think. Wear the wig. <laughs> Yeah. Here, take and, this and, ceremonial wig. And the colorful robes. Everyone else on the Death Star is still in the Imperial black and gray, but he's in that. <laughs> yeah, when that, when he started appearing, you know, when Ron started appearing in little like phantom. Ron! Things, I, was like, I was like, is that is that like a Japanese ghost or something? I was like, this is so weird. Yeah, I know what it makes me think of a little bit. And maybe uh, I and you've heard me ramble on about the weird early eighties Canadian kid show, read all about it. And they have very similar mm-hmm. alien imagery to this. Hmm, maybe they just use the same sets. Uh, no, they, they, they had the cheapest matte paintings ever. I'll send you some <laughs> images and stuff, but uh, right. yeah, I, I bet I'm just trying to figure out, you know, where my tendrils latch on the show. And I guess that's one way it does. So um, I, I just mentioned a TV show so ridiculously obscure. Maybe I should need to shut up about it, but uh, <laughs> not well, read all we about are it. Talking shut up about, all about it. We are talking about a TV show that is at least sort of obscure. Yeah, yeah. But compared to um, the sh- read all about it, this is like a blockbuster. So, <laughs> oh, but hey, if anyone wants to jump down a rabbit hole, it's all, I think it's all on YouTube and you can that, that'll trip you out a little bit. Um yeah, okay. My my only thought was did we give Peter Cushing enough uh spotlight and we just gave him a little more. So I guess we're good. Um I mean, yeah, he did great. They didn't have a whole lot to do besides just kind of arguing, I guess. 
and and he didn't like create a whole bunch of stuff he just sort of was like hey keeping you here but he didn't have the budget for him to create that much yeah he just created the sets they already had <laughs> <laughs> and they yeah, put off screen he created everything yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I guess tell them where we're at. We're at podcast in 1999. <laughs> I have not set up the socials yet, but I will um, find us at uh, patreon.com slash podcastio podcastius. Find bonus content. Give us money for web hosting. Um, find all of our shows. Shows such as Films and Filth, The Citizen Kane of Podcasts, where we talk about movies. Hot, bad and good and right now we're talking about whatever movies we want while the strike is going on um time enough podcast currently going over one step beyond is that right that's correct um, uh because of the strikes also game game show game show about games luke loves pokemon luke goes over every family of pokemon um hyrule field report about the legend of zelda tears of the kingdom uh cult disney going over the connections and the cult disney disney things like cold connections and disney things um and until next time don't miss your link okay <laughs> sure <laughs> don't trap anybody in your planet be nice and don't be surprised if they're dating your daughter as soon as you do that